0: Today you are going to get a front row seat to the memorable Springbok career of 1995 Rugby World Cup champion Johan Ru. Johan, welcome to Front Row Rugby.
1: Thanks Peter, thanks for inviting me.
0: Now before we begin our conversation, let's take a look at this week's trivia question. Who were South Africa's first opponents in the June tests in 2006? Now, if you know the answer to the question, you can put it in the comment section down below, and we'll also find out if Johan knows the answer, but we'll do that at the end of the conversation. Johan, I would like to begin in 1994. The Springboks were given quite a hiding by England at Loftus in the first test match. You were then called up to uh, take the number nine jersey in the second test match. What was the atmosphere like in the Bok camp?
1: <laughs> yeah, it was funny. Um, uh, Ian Beck and... Uh, before the first test, he he had a thing on the board. We he, we he was he, he kept saying you you would want to do something. Um, you want to go to a Iraq. You want to <laughs> do everything. And then on the second test, um, it suddenly be, became you have to <laughs> you have to go to the Iraq. You have to do this and that. You have to make a tackle. Um yeah, it was embarrassing because it was a terrible England side. Um, they've lost to provincial sides. And I think, um, you know, when I was roommates with um, Joel Stransky and when we walked into the team room before the first test, you know, the guys were joking, joking around and we actually looked at each other and said, there might be trouble here. Um, we completely... Um, uh, it Didn't take them at par value, and um, they just exposed us. So the second test was a hugely different story. The week, the build-up, the uh, the tenseness, um, the atmosphere. And I think it's you know that's why we we managed to beat them, even though the weather was in their favour.
0: And for you personally, what did it feel like making your test day before the box?
1: Yeah, it was weird. You know you it's 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 obviously a big moment um but because I've been involved, I was involved with the box um sitting on the bench and you know on the previous tests, I think it wasn't such a big <laughs> huge moment um it was more about the game and winning the game um that was important, and um you know after that was also the New Zealand tour coming up, so um it was important to make to make sure that you play well enough to be picked to go on to, on to the tour.
0: Speaking of that tour to New Zealand, I've had quite a few Springboks on this show that have told me that that was the toughest tour that they had ever been on. Would you go along with that?
1: Yeah, it was a difficult tour. I mean, what happened actually happened was the the first test against England, there was a imitational team that played the North, northern Transvaal team. Um, and Kits Christie Coates, the imitational side, and John Williams, the northern Transvaal side. And they smacked the um, imitational team, which which was made up of a lot of the guys that should have been picked um, for the Springbok Tour. Um, And northern Transvaal just ran all over them. And suddenly, you know, a lot of those northern Transvaal guys were picked for the Tour. <laughs> in the, for the New Zealand tour, and it's—I mean, we don't say talk about whether guys um, should have been Springboks or not, but you know, I think there were better guys th- um, that could have been picked for the tour, and um, also the you know the um, the forwards of Natal, of course, of course Mac was coach. Um, the, the Fords didn't really, I mean, like Guy Cable and the, um, they didn't want to do a scrum before the test. We didn't do one scrum. Um, and then when it got to the, uh, Saturday, you know, when I put the ball in, I almost had to start sprinting to get the ball at the back. That's how much we were pushed. Um, so there were, there were a lot of factors that, that influenced that, uh, that, that squad and that tour before it even started. Um, but yeah, it was, it was, it was tough. It was very tough to, uh, um, when you lose, it's not, not good. Um, and especially when your mid, your midweek, the dirt trackers start losing, then it becomes problematic.
0: No doubt. So, Johan, I actually had Ian McIntosh on this show uh, shortly before he passed. Uh, I believe that it was the last interview that he gave, so I'm very privileged to have been able to have him on the show. Um, one thing he mentioned about that 1994 series against the All Blacks was that each team scored three tries in the series, and he believed that that meant it was quite close and we actually could have won the series. Would you go along with that?
1: Yeah, we should have beaten them easy, uh, to be honest. Uh, fr- the French just beat them um, when we arrived there. Um, and we we really, um, second test was in our hands. Um, the third test, uh, you know, Yarpy went straight through, should have just passed. Uh, we drew that test. Um, looking back on that, uh, I, I, I would say this, the first test we should have lost. But test two and three should have been 2-1 for us, for sure.
0: Speaking of that second test, you'll remember it's now known for the biting incident uh, from Johan Leroux. What was your reaction to that?
1: Look, the worst thing of that is people thought it even now, still think it was me, because Johan Ru and Johan Leroux. So, <laughs> um, but you know what? It, it's, uh, Johan Leroux is a funny guy, and... Um, you know, I know Fitzpatrick was antagonizing him and irritating him the whole test. Um, I think it was just a bit of frustration. But, um, you know, they turned it into such a huge thing It was it was stupid. I mean, it's just a bite. <laughs>
0: And many would say that it was justified as well. Uh, Let's move on then. And, and, you know,
1: sorry to interrupt you, but, you know, at that stage, punching and kicking was still allowed. So, I mean, a bite is nothing compared to (laughs) the punching and kicking that was going on.
0: Quite right. There was a lot of that going on in those days. Uh, Johan, we spoke about Ian McIntosh. After that uh, tour to New Zealand, he was out of the picture. How did you experience him as a coach?
1: He was a wonderful guy, a wonderful coach. Um, I think, I think the only problem was that he listened too much to, to the Natal players. Um, there was guys that had big influence, the guy Cable, um, John Allen. Um, and they, they kind of ruled, but as a, as a technical coach, um, he was, he was fantastic. His passion for the game was fantastic. Um, so, from from that point of view, he's a fantastic guy. It's a uh, pity when I heard pa he, he, he passed away, and um, but I think you know his his legacy will live on forever.
0: And how about your assessment of Kitch Christie?
1: Yeah, you know we we grew up with Kitch. So he was he was also our coach at the Lions Transvaal at that stage. Um, so you know we loved him. He was he was such an incredible guy. That um, we never wanted to disappoint him. Um, if you had a bad game, you you couldn't get less what anyone else said. You just felt you you disappointed kid. Um, and then when he became sick and and things like that it was incredible. You know, we after we beat Natal in the Lion Lions Cup, uh, the next day we were at the hospital with him, and all we could talk about was rugby um, you know, as sick as he was so um no he was a, he was an incredible guy out of, out of the two very different people um um uh, i think uh Mac was more passionate uh where Kitsch was a lot more analytical um you know i mean I don't know if he, the people told but in ninety ninety five um world cup uh, he actually phoned some news guys at Disney World because they got the biggest or most sophisticated weather system in the world to to plan for the weather. So <laughs> you know, he was that kind of guy. Attention to detail was incredible too.
0: I have heard that Disney story and I seem to think it was Kurbis Vito or Bali Swart who told the story uh, in a TV interview that I must have seen quite a few years ago now. Um, Johan, let's move on to the 1995 Rugby World Cup and the pre-tournament training sessions. Joel Stransky told me that it was torture. What do you say? Um,
1: <laughs> yeah, look, kids believed in fitness. Um, so we did fitness, I mean, we did fitness the last week before the the World Cup final. And till the day Kitsch died, he still believed that that fitness session we did um, on the Monday before the World Cup final uh, helped us in the in the overtime. Um, but it was, you know, everyone w- was fighting for a spot um, uh, to be, because Kitsch made it clear there's going to be a, a gold team and a green team. And everyone knew beforehand where they were going to be. So, um, everyone was fighting for a spot there. Um, so you can imagine if you put highly big, big guys, highly, um, that, uh, that's fit as hell. And each one wants a spot. It's, it's, it's going to be ugly. And it was ugly, but, um, it also helped us, um, I think to prepare for the World Cup. Um, because that made us really competitive in everything that we did.
0: Hey, if you're enjoying this video, why not consider becoming a patron? It's my dream, guys, to do this full time and with a small financial contribution, you can help me realize that dream. The link and the QR code is appearing on your screen right now and I'll also put it down in the description area for you to go and click on at a later stage if you would like to do so. And by becoming a patron, I promise there will be great benefits for members. Now let's get back to the interview. Your first match of the tournament was against Romania. I think it's fair to say it's a match that the Springboks were expected to win by a large margin. But it turned out to be quite a tough uh, affair. What was it about them that was so difficult to combat?
1: No, you know what happened. Um, the day, uh, their last training session were at Hamilton's or uh, something like that. And apparently, the um, Hamiltons had a game the night before and they didn't clean the the change rooms and they didn't... Uh, and it was filthy. And so it motivated these guys so much that, <laughs> that when they arrived on the field that next day, you know, they were kamikazes. I mean, they tackled us to absolute crap. <laughs> and... um that, that was the beginning. And we, we also played them a little bit wrong. Um, we tried to tap everything that Ketch wanted that, but, um, we should have just taken the points up front. Um, but you know, it's, it's, it's a difficult game because if you beat them 100 no, everyone says, Oh, it's expected. And suddenly you beat them 30, whatever. I can't even remember what the, what the score was. And people say, Oh, it was a tough game. What happened? So it's 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 one of those no win situations,
0: similar to Canada. If you win by a large margin, people would say it was only Canada, and as you say, was the case with Romania. But I must ask you about the Canadian match. Did you get any shots in during that fight?
1: <laughs> no, no, I didn't. Um, you know, it was a crazy. Canada came out um, to to intimidate and. Um, and try and cause that from the start. Uh, it's the only way they could win. Um, so unfortunately, that that happened, and you know James got um, banned from the tournament. And if you really look at the at 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 the video, there's no way he should have should have done that. Um, I know in the hearings, the the lawyers were saying, "Look at how aggressive you're running towards the guy." I mean, it's absolute rubbish. Um, but yeah, that, you know that, that also opened up for Chester to come in. Um, so, you know, you have to take the good with the bad.
0: Indeed. And speaking of bad, I think that would be a very underwhelming way to describe the weather that you guys encountered in the semi-final against France in Durban. I know that you started the match on the bench and then came on later. But during the match... Were you sitting there looking at the conditions and thinking, I'll be quite happy not to get onto the field here today?
1: Yeah, I know. I mean, and, you know, U.S. never got injured, so um, I never expected to, I wasn't worried because U.S. never gets injured. And suddenly, you know, uh, Rudy Jubei said to me, warm up. I said, for what? And he said, because U.S.' shoulders is sore. Um, he's coming off. Um, but I don't know if people told you but the the guy that actually saved the um us from going to the final was really late because they wanted to not play the match and if we didn't play the match then uh we would have been out and I was listening to him telling the uh, the guys what would happen to them if they don't play um and he made it abundantly clear that this game will take place even if the guys have to swim um so he was he was the guy that saved the world cup for for South Africa
0: and I think we're all very grateful for that. Johan, when it came to the Rugby World Cup final itself, uh, maybe it was just a stroke of luck, but the TV cameras managed to catch you and Narka Drotsky on the bench celebrating and cheering the guys on. And it became quite a famous moment as well. Just describe what it was like sitting there watching that Rugby World Cup final.
1: You know, it's terrible to watch a game. You'd rather be on the field than Sitting, watching, because you're not when you're not involved, it's it's, you're more nervous um, than playing. When you when you're playing, at least you can once you have a couple of tackles and the physicalness, the the the, the tension kind of disappears. But geez, today uh, I I think we were all at the edge. Um, I don't think I think they put the cameras on us, but if you put it on half the people there, they, they would look the same. And I think after people in South Africa at their homes, it would have looked the same. Um, you know, we were just spectators uh, wanting a side to win, really. That's what we were.
0: And what did it feel like when the referee blew the final whistle?
1: No, of course, then it was jubilation. Um, um, something you work so hard for and that, that we work so hard for and planned. And, and that when, when a plan comes together, it's always, always wonderful. And um, yeah, uh, it was uh, it was just a great feeling.
0: It was a wonderful moment for the country. Uh, I mean, I can remember it like it was yesterday. I was just a, a young boy at the time, but as I say, uh, special, special memories. So, Johan, at the same time, rugby was on the verge of turning professional. What can you tell us about the conversations that François Pinot was having with you guys regarding uh, contracts?
1: <laughs> um, you know what... Uh, there was, there was, I think we went to, um, Sun City after the, after we did the tour through South Africa, uh, through Joburg on the bus, on the bus. Um, and, um, there was conversations that, that came out that they wanted us to, uh, yeah. to have a professional, that things are turning professional. And, the, uh, Francia was representing a side. Um, I don't want to go into too much details. Um, but, yeah, it was it was interesting times because as the World Cup winners, um, all the sides wanted to have the World Cup winners to sign with them. Uh, so you had Pekka on the one side and Murdoch on the other side. Um, and if it wasn't for us winning the World Cup, I don't know where it would have gone because the All Blacks and... And uh, Australia, especially, wanted to go with Becker. And it would have been a huge disruption in world rugby if that happened.
0: And I guess we'll never know. But I think it's fair to say that it worked out okay in the end. Let's move on to 1996 and the Tri-Nations. Uh, you featured in that Away From Home, uh, first up against the Wallabies and the All Blacks. As we, I mean, we wouldn't have known at the time, but as we now know 20, 30 years later, every single year it seems as if the box go to Australia and New Zealand, and I think we probably lose 80, even 90% of the time. And then funny enough, especially the Wallabies, they'll come to South Africa and then we beat them almost 90% of the time. Johan, why is it so difficult for the box to go over there?
1: Yeah, I, I think it's just the... Number one is the the, the traveling there, and the, it's 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 weird. You lie in the bed the whole week, and it, at three o'clock in the morning, you hear the TV's on <laughs> in the guys' rooms because your body clock, is, especially when you when you travel from west to east, this is is terrible. Um, it's much easier traveling east to west. Um, and I, that, that's that got a huge impact on it. Um, look, New Zealand is always New Zealand. Uh, the sides there, when you play New Zealand, you can beat them by 70 points, and in the last 10 minutes, uh, you'll still get the hardest tackles <laughs> of, of the game. Uh, they just play for 80 minutes, so their teams are quality. Uh, very difficult to, to win there. Um, But uh, Australia, you know, Australia used to be much better sides because it was only, remember, it was only um, Queensland um, and New South Wales, really. Um, That caused the cohesiveness in Australia to be much better than it is now. So Australia was a proper rugby side. Um, and now they've got huge problems, but when we played them, they were always a very intelligent side to play against. Um, so you're playing against intelligent guys with that's highly athletic, um, whereas when you play the All Blacks, they're very physical and maybe don't play as intelligent rugby, um, but their physicalness makes up for it. Um, so, yeah, I mean... I think it took us a long time to really adapt to um, the speed and the physicalness of of the, that rugby coming out of just playing here with between ourselves for so long.
0: And then your last test match for the Springboks was just a few weeks later against the All Blacks in Durban. How disappointed were you that it would end there? Um, you
1: know what? It's weird. I wasn't... It, it was fine. I you know rugby was always kind of a second <laughs> uh, a second thing for me i mean i always loved golf so so much um, i know Kitch, uh when we traveled to new zealand and australia he said to me that um i'm not allowed to bring my golf clubs with, uh, to the airport which i found astounding but they they all knew i think everyone knew that you know golf was my number one love and Rugby was my second. So, you know, it, uh, it wasn't, I, I was ready to stop. And, you know, when I was ready, it said, I, you, I enjoyed the time there. But there's always going to be new guys.
0: Quite right. Uh, now, earlier I spoke to you about Kitch Christie and Ian McIntosh. Obviously, in 1996, Andre Markroff had become the new Springbok coach. Tell us a little bit about him as a coach.
1: Yes, uh, you know, Andre, again, very different. Um, obviously Afrikaans guys. So, uh <laughs> you know the 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 mentality was uh, was there um he loved his forwards um so we didn't really have a lot of interaction um but um you know he was a i think the the good thing about andre was he he had good people surrounded himself with good people and he listened. To people also, um, but he was a good motivator, um, and uh, yeah, I, look out of out of the three, I'd, I I spent the least amount of time with him. Um, I, I think I only played under him with uh, yesterday. Yeah, very very few games under him. So it was diffi- It's difficult for me to speak about him, but you know I enjoyed my time under him. He'd, he had certain vision for the side and you know, I knew it was kind of my end. So I was I was gone.
0: I just want to come back to that story about the contract, sir Johan, because I've also heard from some of the guys that obviously the nineteen ninety five winners, they had a certain contract, and then the new players in the team, they had a different contract, and that caused a little bit of tension in the camp. Now I can understand that if you didn't have a world cup contract that maybe there would be more unhappiness from those guys and that you were obviously one of the guys that did have a world cup contract but so maybe you didn't quite experience it as much but i'm just interested to hear from you if you experienced anything like that
1: look it must have been very difficult for for the guys who didn't have the the world cup contracts as we called it um to play provincial rugby next to us because you know, you, you're playing the same game, you're playing the same team, we're getting paid, yeah, they're getting paid, yeah. Um, it definitely caused a lot of problems. And that's that's actually why Australia and New Zealand wanted to go with Packer, because there everyone would have got paid. Um, we were kind of selfish, starting with, with the Murdoch, because only we got paid um so looking back at it <laughs> you know it, it must have been really difficult for the guys and yeah it it, it definitely caused uh conflict it also caused um uh, problems between us and late um you know it didn't it didn't affect the the other provincial guys uh because they they weren't close to late but he never liked that we Got him into a corner, and almost made him sign the made him sign the contract with us, um, and he held it against us for a very long time. So we were right there in the lion's den, and uh, we felt the brunt of that that hate um, every week.
0: Johan, I've actually read a brilliant uh, biography of Louis Leite. Uh, It was written by Max Duprier uh, a few years ago now, actually. But uh, it's something that was quite interesting while I was reading it. It did come across as if some players had a good relationship with him and others didn't, and maybe there were others still who didn't have any relationship at all. Maybe it was just a hello and a goodbye whenever you saw him. I'd like to hear from you uh, what your relationship was like with Louis Leite.
1: Yeah, I had a good relationship with him, Um... I, I liked him because he it, it was, you know, he really loved rugby, um, really loved rugby, always wanted the best for rugby. He was he was <laughs> almost like Trump who says, you know, make a better, uh, you know, USA, um, and everyone hates him. You have guys that hate him and guys who, guys who loved him. So I, I would... Think it's it's almost putting him as the Trump of South Africa, um, but the one thing he he really loved rugby, um, and he tried to do whatever it it takes. Uh, in saying that, he likes to be in control, um, and he didn't like anyone to oppose him. So if you had different viewpoints and he didn't like you, you know you were. <laughs> To the side, um, but um, yeah, I'd, I liked him. He's a he was a very intelligent guy. Um, you had to when you go up against him, which we tried to do on a couple of times. You we had to have our things in really in order because we we actually went on strike um, at, at the Lions. That's before the World Cup contracts were signed. And all we wanted was... At that stage, we were paid with an envelope after every game. We wanted a salary, fixed salary so we can finance cars and things like that. We wanted medical. And um, we wanted our wives to be able to sit in a box. I mean, that's what we went on strike for. (laughs) And eventually... I mean, couple of couple of weeks later, we signed the World Cup contracts, which we turned everything upside down. Um, but but during that strike, it was an interesting time. How we how we tried to divide and conquer the side, um, and it was incredible how we all stuck together, and that kept us together, even afterwards when he when he came for us, um, we knew we could handle it.
0: It's interesting how today those uh, demands seem like the simplest of things. Johan, let me ask you: Who was your toughest opponent?
1: Oh, you know what? It's difficult to say because um, uh, there were they, there's always good scrum-offs. You, you know that you play against, um, even even from from local. Um, uh, Kevin Putt in 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 the tower, brilliant scrum-off. Yersto um, obviously was always there. Um, so they were just yet, yeah, There was good scrum offs. Then you go overseas, you play against Gregan, um, uh, Dewey Morris, <laughs> um, played against, um, uh, uh, uh Bishop the New Zealander at the best hands of any scrum off ever. So it's, it's so difficult to, to say, to say one, um, because scrum off is one of those positions where internationally there's always good scrum-offs. Uh, wherever you go, <laughs> it's kind of a position that, uh, it's a critical position. So one of your best players should always be a scrum-off.
0: Some wonderful players that you've mentioned there indeed. Uh, Johan, is there a particularly funny moment that you can share with us from your time with the Springboks?
1: There's 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 lots, but not that I can speak to you. <laughs> 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 there's a, there's incredible moments, but um, yeah, definitely not not what we can talk about on this program. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Fair enough. Uh, as the saying goes, "What goes on tour stays on tour." Uh, Johan, is there a particular player at the moment who you admire?
1: You know, again, it's it's it's, it's to pick one player is really difficult. Um, I think that in 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 the south african side we've we've built such an incredible incredible side um I, you know i i loved malcolm marx jeez i'm so such a pity that he's injured um loved him i, I love his name on um, um you know koha when he comes on um then you go to the back i mean colby um, there's there's so many players that's that's incredible and and you know internationally now it, it, you almost don't have a bad player anymore. Um, the top teams they'll expose a bad player so quickly it's unbelievable. Um, the speed of the game. I was telling my sons the other day, you know the the game so quick now. I, I don't know whether I would have made it to all the rucks. You know, you have to be so quick and so fast now. Um, so, yeah, the, um, one player. I mean, obviously, the Pontus. Everyone uh, raves about the He's Pont. is is a brilliant scrum of um, so much diversity, and that that's what makes them so difficult to play. You know, they do things that that no other team does, and that you won't expect from players.
0: And what are you up to these days?
1: Um, I'm into investment banking. Um i i was a stockbroker um stockbroker investment banker all my life. So um we've got a small investment bank in Italy. Um and uh, we just we actually raising on to invest in sports and sport related businesses.
0: So I've got to ask you then on that topic, Johan. I'm a big fan of investing in an S and P 500 ETF. That's kind of my philosophy at my level. Am I on the right track?
1: Yeah, I mean, listen, it's it's incredible. The Americans, you know, they, they it's it's almost like the New Zealanders. They think they can never lose. So when you when you invest in America, the market come down a little bit, but they're so conditioned that the market will just go up and up and up that the mentality is that the market just goes up and up and up um, I'm I'm just happy you're not into crypto because I believe that's the biggest load of crap in the world
0: <laughs> look I stay far away from stuff that I don't understand so <laughs> that's what I do there <laughs> Johan, let's uh, finish up by looking at the trivia question. Who were South Africa's first opponents in the June Tests in 2006? Do you know the answer, Johan?
1: 2006? I have no idea.
0: (laughs) All right. We started off uh, with a two-test series against Scotland.
1: I wouldn't have had a clue. (laughs) My, (laughs) my, My trivia on rugby is terrible. (laughs)
0: <laughs> the only thing of significance really from those two test matches was that Scott Berger uh, broke his neck in that series I and mean, we, we were obviously without him for the rest of the season. Uh, Johan, let me say that it was lovely having you on Front Row Rugby today. An absolute pleasure. And I hope that we can have you on again in the future.
1: Any time, Peter. Thanks for the invite, man.